I want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. Today brings us to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. The largest pearl in the world uh, was named Lao Tzu. And this pearl weighs 14 pounds and is over 9 inches long. So that's, that's a really good uh, size pearl. And, and I, I say was on purpose because it, it was the biggest pearl. Uh, and now, only recently has the world's largest pearl been discovered. This new pearl comes in at 2 feet long, 1 foot wide, and weighs over 75 pounds. The only problem is this new pearl should have been discovered a long time ago. Uh, Roger might know this guy as a fisherman uh, from Palawan Island in the Philippines. Have you ever been to Palawan? Have you been to Palawan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys know this fisherman? I'm just kidding. He's a nameless fisherman. I couldn't find his name. But uh, he went out fishing and his boat's anchor uh, wouldn't come up. It got caught on something. So he swims down, finds a giant clam. Brings it back on his boat, opens the clam, and finds this pearl. That was ten years ago that he discovered this pearl. And only recently we've discovered that it exists. So what happened? He brought it home, put it under his bed, and kept it there for ten years. For ten years, this fisherman kept a pearl well worth over a hundred million dollars under his bed. So why did he keep it there? He didn't know how much it was worth. He just kept it there as a good luck charm. Every day when he would go out fishing, he would touch this pearl for good luck and go out and go fishing. And finally, ten years down the road, he told his aunt about it, who worked for the government. The aunt, uh, you know, talked to people. And now, and since then, news has broken out about this pearl. I think it's at a museum now. And, and we might laugh at this man. We might think he's silly. But I think he, in what he's done, illustrates a very important part of human nature. And that is our desire for security. Now, some of us might want security in $100 million. Right? We sell this pearl for $100 million. Or maybe we think this pearl gives us this great favor you know and so that's what this man thought and he and he wanted to have this favor the point is we all want security uh, stability to know everything is going to be okay why do you think we are so hesitant to change it disrupts the our status quo where we feel safe and secure one reason why people are upset at new bike trails here in fellows lake is why Security. There's new people. We're not alone up here anymore. And, and security is not a bad thing. Wanting security is not a bad thing. In fact, God has wired us to want security. To want safety. The only problem is, is that we try to find security and stability everywhere else instead of ultimately finding it in God. And when God calls us to suffering, as we've seen in 1 Peter, that's especially true. To find our security in God. 
So Peter has been calling us to submit to suffering for the glory of God in Christ. But we need to know that we are safe even if we suffer. We need to know that we're safe. Not physically safe. I don't mean physically safe, right? Suffering means we're not physically safe. We need to know that our hearts are safe. And the good news is God provides what we are looking for and He provides for what we need. He makes us secure in our suffering. That's what this passage is about today. We're secure in our suffering. So I'd like us to read today and see what that means. Uh, You can read and follow along in your Bibles. You can follow along the screen, but we'll be in chapter 3 starting in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So this whole paragraph continues what Peter has been saying about suffering. And as you may have gathered, there's a lot to unpack in this, uh, in this passage. And because of that, today's sermon might be a little bit longer than usual. I just ask for your patience, bear with me, uh, and for an extra dose of hunger of the Word of God, because that's what I'm prepared to give you. Uh, And so notice, though, right off the bat in this passage, there's nothing that he's calling for us to do. He's not calling us to do anything in this passage. Rather, he's pointing out what has already been done. He's lifting our eyes to see what Jesus has already accomplished. And the first thing that Jesus has accomplished that is the foundation of all our security is that we are reconciled to God. We are secure because we are reconciled to God. Peter begins this passage, verse 18, with this word for, which which means that the point he's making here is dependent on a point that he's made previously. Okay, you follow? And the point that he previously made is summed up in verse 17. Look at verse 17. He sums it up, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. If it is true that it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is God's will, then who is the only one to ever to truly do this but Jesus? The only one to ever do this in its truest sense is Jesus. And that's the point that Peter makes in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. There is no truer sufferer for doing good than Christ. And yet, he didn't just suffer because he did good, for doing good. He suffered because he did good for the purpose of forgiving those who do evil. Who do the opposite of good. 
This week we celebrated Veterans Day. If you missed it, we had a sweet video honoring the veterans in our midst. Thank you to everyone who served. I'm a patriot for sure. And it's during holidays like that that you'll see Facebook means whatever, comparisons, right? Uh, between the sacrifice of the soldiers and the sacrifice of Jesus, right? The comparison being they both lay down their lives for you. But you know what we usually leave out of that comparison? The fact that Jesus didn't die for innocent civilians, but for the terrorists. We are unrighteous. Sinful in our most inner being. Daily curse God by our sin. Multiple times. And we hate His freedom because we love our bondage. But Christ did not die for good people. He didn't die for decent people. He didn't die for people with potential. He died for unrighteous, rebellious, sinful worms. who fight tooth and nail to remain in our sin. He gave His righteous life for our unrighteous ugliness. And He did this in verse 18 again. Why? That He might bring us to God. This isn't just a, a warm, fuzzy, oh, I'm, I'm close to God kind of thing but a fact of eternal grace. We are reconciled to God. Paul wrote in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God even though you do everything to make it unpeaceful. To war against God in your sin. In Christ you have peace. There's no more animosity. There's no more anger. God harbors no impatience with you. He doesn't have any ill will toward His children who are in Christ. How often when we fail and we mess up and we sin, we think God is disappointed in us, but nothing could be further from the truth. Because that would be like saying God is disappointed with the righteousness of Christ. Because guess what? You are clothed in Christ's righteousness. If you are truly saved today, you are clothed with that righteousness. And God always delights in you. There is never a moment where His delight is lifted. Jesus accomplished this reconciliation. And He accomplished it by what Peter says at the end of verse 18, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This doesn't mean Jesus was raised as a spirit. We believe in a bodily resurrection. Just as you see me here today, we believe in a Jesus who appears this way. What this means is that Jesus suffered and died in His body, but was made alive, resurrected by the Spirit. 
In other words, Jesus is raised as a whole person. Completely redeemed by the Spirit. And what's good about that is in the same way our whole person is redeemed. This means not only are we going to be raised bodily when Jesus returns, but for our point it means our emotions are redeemed. How, how often are your emotions out of sync with God's will? Our emotions are redeemed. Our thoughts are redeemed. Our actions, our motives, our words, our deeds, our whole person is redeemed by a whole person Christ. Which means every part of you, the deepest, darkest corners of your life is reconciled to God. And that is the foundation of your security and suffering. Alright, natural. Being natural is all the craze right now. Alright, natural foods, natural toothpaste, natural toilet paper. And in many ways, natural is good, right? It's, it's better to like, try to eat natural rather than like, processed foods. But, but it is ridiculous sometimes. Because on the same shelf, you have Jif Classic Creamy Peanut Butter. And right next to it, you have Jif Natural Peanut Butter. And I'd like to just thank the marketing department for telling me I had the choice between like, actual peanut butter and just chemicals. Like, thank you for labeling that for me. I'm going to go with like, real peanut butter. This is what I've wanted all along. So thank you, Jif. But, but, and this, like, natural has its limits, doesn't it? Like, we like to think that if something's natural, then it's good. But, but even though Mallory and I, we love our home, if we let just what natural happens to it, then it's going to get destroyed. Like, like mold and mildew and insects. We have roots growing in our sewage line. So, so that, like, we have sewage backing up into our bathtub. Well, that's natural and we don't like it. It's not good. In fact, it's relentless. Right? These natural things are relentless. In the same way, there are dark spiritual forces that are relentless and destructive. In fact, even though, right, this kind of suffering we've seen, like persecution, actual people might be the cause of those things, what is actually behind all of it are dark spiritual forces. That's why, secondly, we are secure because we are victorious over darkness. Victorious over darkness. Now, this passage is complex and profound. Martin Luther, right? The, the guy who started the Reformation and is, is probably the main reason why we have our Bibles today and are reading from them and preaching from them, right? That guy, he said of this text, I love this, a wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty just what Peter means. But I think with God's help, we can piece this together. Now we are told in verse 19, right, uh, or that, that Christ, who is resurrected bodily, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Some of your translations might say preached to the spirits in, in prison. Some believe that this means Christ went and preached the gospel maybe to unbelievers in the Old Testament. 
but that can't be true for several reasons. Two, I, I just want to kind of get out there right now. One is that because the Bible is clear that there is not a, a second chance after death. But secondly, if there is a second chest, chance after death, there's no reason for Peter to be writing in the first place. Because he's telling these believers, you need to endure suffering in order to be saved. And if, that's, if there's a second chance, then he doesn't have to worry about it. So there's no second chance. So here is what this text means. It means that Christ, who was resurrected bodily after his sufferings, went and proclaimed victory to the very powers of darkness responsible for his suffering. I'm going to repeat that. Christ, who was resurrected bodily after his sufferings, went and proclaimed victory to the very powers of darkness who were responsible for that suffering. Let me explain. The, the text here says, he went and proclaimed to the spirits. Alright, one thing that we can get out of the way is that that word spirits never refers to people. It always refers to like angels, spirits, forces, like unseen forces, that kind of thing. In fact, Peter tells us what kind of spirits he's talking about. He, he says about those in verse 20, right? The spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Alright, let's think about the story of Noah. In Genesis 6, God flooded the earth, not just because of sin, but because sin reached like a pinnacle in the days of Noah. Right? The Bible tells us that the, the sins of man, like the ways of man, were sinful all the time, and sin in his heart. Like, it's like sin upon sin upon sin. And something really weird happens in Genesis 6 to kind of illustrate how evil things were that angels, somehow, I'm not here to explain the hows and the whos and the whats and the whys, but angels came down and slept with human women. These are a special kind of wicked angels, and it represents a special kind of wickedness. And in 1 Peter, these angels serve as a representative of all wicked, dark spiritual forces. You follow? So, the spirits in prison that Christ is preaching to is none other than the most vile and wicked of spirits who, through all time, are behind the persecution and suffering of God's people. So, so why did Christ have to proclaim victory over them? Because guess what? The spirits and the suffering they caused continue to persist. Even though God destroyed the whole world, that, those evil spirits and the suffering they caused continue throughout all time in history. Get this. This is, this is, I think, really profound. The suffering caused by evil spirits and Satan that, that led to the death of Christ ultimately led to His victory in the resurrection. And that is the victory He's proclaiming over them. That the suffering you have caused has led to My victory over you. That is what Christ is proclaiming over all evil spirits, demons, dark angelic forces. And that is good news for believers. 
That is good news for believers because just like Noah, they, in Peter's day, and we are few in number. Right? Not only are our Christians historically and worldwide a minority, but even like true Christians among church churchgoers are a minority too, right? They're few in number, but and, and, and forces of darkness overwhelm us. Think about Noah's day, like the, the floodwaters overwhelming, representing this dark forces, overwhelming in, in Noah's day, overwhelming for us, but Christ has judged them and proclaimed victory over them. And it's because of Him that we also are victor- victorious over darkness. You don't have to fear Satan or demons. Yet you have no fear of them if you are in Christ. And we will be brought safely through the evil and suffering that they cause, even though it's a relentless onslaught, because we share in Christ's victory. We're secure. We're secure. And just as the powers of darkness are behind our suffering, so also are the powers of darkness our main accusers. In Revelation 12, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And the reality is, as often Satan accuses us, he's right. He likes to seize on our sin and say you're a sinner. And the truth is we are guilty. We are guilty of sin. But if you're a Christian, he plays a fool's game because you're cleansed. Thirdly, we are secure in our suffering because we are cleansed from guilt. We are cleansed from guilt. This passage just gets better and better because it gets a lot more clear and clear, doesn't it? Look at what Peter writes in verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Still, we have a lot more to unpack here. The main thing that I want you to see is that Peter is making a connection between baptism and Noah. Right? Do you guys see that? He says baptism, which corresponds to this. There's a connection between baptism and Noah. Specifically, the connection is between the waters of baptism and the waters of the flood. You follow? Now remember, water was highly symbolic in the Old Testament. It represented chaos and destruction and death. Kind of like how we think of like like nuclear and the radioactive symbol as being like the, the biggest cause of destruction and death maybe in our day. That's how they thought of, of water, right? Seas and things like that. And the flood waters in Noah's day were an agent of death. They brought about death and destruction. And in the same way, the waters of baptism are an agent of death for the believer. Paul wrote as much in Romans 6 that he wrote that in baptism we were buried with Christ into death. That's what baptism means. When you're plunged in the water, you die. Baptism is judgment. But because of Christ, we survive the death of baptism 
and are raised with him into life. Paul continues that same thought in Romans 6. He does this in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So just as Noah was brought through the death of humanity to make a fresh start with humanity, so too believers are brought through death to be made into a new person, a new kind of humanity. It is not the act of baptism which saves a person, but the reality of of dying with Christ and being raised with Him. People go swimming and do cannonballs all the time. People get plunged underwater all the time. And that is not baptism. Last year, one of the most embarrassing moments of my adult life was going fly fishing with clay, and I stumbled over into some rocks, and I got plunged into the water, and water's all in my coveralls. Right? That was not baptism. Being plunged underwater doesn't do anything for you. This, we don't believe in baptismal regeneration as, as if like the act of physical plunging has some magical power to save you. We don't believe that. But follow me. It is in baptism that a believer appropriates their faith in Christ. And that is where baptism gets its power. In the same way, your faith is not what saves you. Newsflash. You don't have enough faith to save you. Christ is who saves you. And it is by virtue of your faith in Christ that you're saved. That's why Peter adds here at the end of verse 21 that that all of this is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it is only by virtue of Christ's death and resurrection that any kind of our response to Him has any saving significance. I mean, we can have faith and try to repent all day, but none of that's going to save us unless it is through the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is the commensurate act of faith on the part of the believer for what Peter says, an appeal to God for a good conscience. You could say that baptism is actually the true sinner's prayer. You guys know what the sinner's prayer is, right? There may be different forms of it, but like we try to lead someone in a sinner's prayer. Baptism, biblically, is actually the, the true sinner's prayer. It is the believer's act of repentance in faith that Christ will cleanse them. That's, that's, listen, this is... Exactly why Peter says in, in Acts 2, he preaches a sermon and they're cut to the heart. And he says, what, what must we do to be saved? And he, he doesn't say, have faith and repent. He says, repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This is why baptism is so, so, so important. Like, if you're a believer and you want to become a member of a Baptist church, we want to be sure your baptism is biblical and done as a true repentant response to Christ. Tom Schreiner wrote of this that believers at baptism ask God on the basis of the death and resurrection of Christ to cleanse their consciences and forgive their sins. That's why baptism is important. 
Listen, I know I've done a lot of explaining, but let me tell you what all of this means. It means that you're free. Believers are free. Christ has set you free from sin and guilt. He has washed you and He has cleansed you. The reason you can't be accused anymore is because you died. If you are a believer in Christ and you've been baptized, you died. And you have been raised to a new life and you live again through Christ's resurrection. And you are forever secured by this. That the death that suffering threatens you with, right? That's what's so scary about persecution and suffering is it threatens us with death, but it's nothing because you've already died. Suffering cannot threaten you. Suffering can only serve you. And that leads to our last point. We are secure in suffering because we are reigning with Christ. Peter writes, he concludes in verse 22, we are baptized for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. When Christ resurrected, He not only defeated Satan and sin and death, He now rules over them. It's important to notice the flow of this passage. It starts with Christ suffering for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, and it ends with Christ reigning at the right hand of God. What this means is, is that it is Christ's suffering that led to His rule and His reign. Another way to put this is, without suffering, there is no victory. In order to gain victory, Christ needed to suffer. This is exactly what Paul wrote in Philippians 2. Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he was equal to God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven, angels, cherubim, spirits, and on earth, humans, creatures, and under the earth, demons, dark spirits, Satan, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is true because he suffered. This does not mean... God would not be in control if Christ did not suffer. If Christ did not come, God would rule forever and ever unchanged. Amen. But that would not be good news for us because it means His rule would only be in judgment of us. The victory that Christ now holds is not one solely of judgment, but one of redemption. Without His suffering, there would be no redemption of sin and no redemption of creation. And because He came, 
Because he lived, because he suffered, because he died, because he rose again, he rules the entire created order to serve his purposes of redeeming it. All sin, all suffering, all darkness, all spiritual forces serve his purposes. The suffering served the purpose of bringing him victory, and now all things, even things that work against him, are subject to him and end up working for him. Sin that doesn't even lead to belief in Christ, right? Christ is going to use all sin, all evil, the evil of the Holocaust. How can that be redeemed? Christ is going to redeem it. And as believers, we share in this ruling and reigning. One day we will rule and reign with Christ in a new creation. But right now, because we share with Him, even the suffering that we face serve us. Whatever threatens to destroy us, to undo us, is subject to our Lord. And it it serves us. It is our servant. Suffering is your servant in Christ. Persecution, threats, slander, maliciousness, suffering, even death, bring us nothing but good because of Christ our Lord. We are secure in our suffering. But I don't want us to miss something here with this passage. It is true that dark forces were behind and are responsible for Christ's suffering. But truthfully, it's because of our sin that led to His suffering. It is because we chose sin that Christ needed to suffer. And it is your sin that held Him on the tree. Your sin held Christ there. Your anger held Christ on the cross. Your jealousy, your lust, your adultery, your sinful divorce, your gossip, your slander, your mocking held Christ there. Your sin put Christ to death. Your sin mocked Him. Your sin called for Christ to be crucified. Your sin was what hammered the nails into His hands and into His feet. Your sin led to the event that caused Christ to suffer, but by His wounds, the wounds that we have caused, we are healed. This is the greatest exchange. That the sin that caused the suffering of Christ that would lead to our redemption would cause us to fall on our faces in repentance and ask God for mercy and grace. And and now, because of that, our suffering serves us 
and causes nothing but our good. What grace has been accomplished for us in Christ? And this is your invitation. If you are not a believer in Christ, to repent and trust and cry out to Him today. Respond to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it is our sin that held you there. Our sin that would make us one of the voices that, that scoffs at you. Our voice that screams, come down and save yourself. Our voice among the crowds who called for Barabbas and called for you to be crucified. And yet somehow that led to our redemption by a supreme act of eternal, divine mercy and grace. So that 2,000 years later, we could be redeemed and set free and cleansed. That You would give us hope and security. You have not called us to anything that You Yourself have not already gone through. God in You is all our security. Forgive us for when we retreat into things in this world to give us security. And God, redeem our failures. Redeem our sins. Help us to find all our security in Christ and what He has done for us. And I pray, Lord, for any body in here who does not believe, who is not sure that they would retreat into the security of Christ to be cleansed, forgiven, and renewed. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.